Hi. Hi, it's so nice to meet you. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. And I, um, after doing even more research on you, it's like really uh, just so special. I've been in this business for 56 years. And, um, and over time, as you know, you see talent and creativity um, through the years. And you easily, at 78, I can easily identify genius versus other types of creative spirits. And I have this podcast that I've reinstated again. I've, I've done podcasts for a while and I've had a radio show too. I thought this is the time to really um, speak with people who are on that higher level and share through another designer's perspective what that higher level is. And you exemplify that. And I think in this life that we're in now, creativity is incredibly important. So first of all, thank you for doing this. And second, just um, initial question that is, uh, I'm sure, um, obvious to everyone. You are uh, a fashion designer, but clearly design is everything about you. And so where did that all come from? What was the first kind of realization that this is who you were going to be you were going to have a creative life well there's a couple of instances um when i when i first saw the david bowie diamond dogs cover in um <laughs> in the sales bin at the kmart in <laughs> in port bakersfield or something because porterville didn't even have a kmart um that that was so it, it kind of disturbed me it was funny because it made me feel horribly guilty and disturbed and threatened and um because i was i was is small town very a, a very um fragile small town um sissy and that just exposed me completely um and and i but then i remember just thinking that that combination of, of grotesque glamour and yeah. um beauty standards outside the norm just really um did something to me there was that and then there was on um, the rocky horror picture show um that whole thing about don't don't dream it be it and living a life um living a life devoted to a certain kind of aesthetic that was so outside the norm that was in in dr frankenfurter's castle then there was the party scene and i just ached to be at that party that was the party that i wanted right. to be at and um which it was had nothing to do with the little town that i was living in um and then but then you know years later i'm in paris and i'm doing these shows and i'm looking around and i'm going oh my god i, I i'm I, at I, the party party <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing it i'm throwing the party right um, anyway um it's such a pleasure to be here because 
You know, I, I feel like you're you you're probably one of those influences that formed me too, because um, yeah, no, I was very when in the late seventies when I was a um when when I was becoming more aesthetically aware and when I was developing uh what would become my aesthetic and, and I was looking around and I was I was absorbing information. I was of all things I <laughs> in Porterville I had a subscription to GQ magazine. Oh my god. At Architectural Digest, and I'm in high school, right? And <laughs> it was a and um GQ magazine then. I don't remember who the art director was, but there was a lot of Bruce Weber photography. Um, and there was Norma Kamali, there were Norma Kamali clothes, yeah. and it was Norma Kamali clothes illustrated by Antonio. Yeah. Um I know At GQ, believe it or not. And other men's magazines were uh, where the most creative, besides Vogue and Bazaar, where the most creative kind of photography was taking place in the 70s, especially. And actually, Anna Winter um, started her career in the U.S. at one of these men's magazines doing the fashion. And she was my editor and would come to pick clothes and and shoot them. So when you said GQ, (laughs) I knew where you were going with that. And that was was where people really looked at fashion. Nobody would believe it now, but it's so true. Yeah, Yeah, GQ was radical. Yeah, no, it was great. And those Bruce Weber layouts, editorials with those models being so beautiful and smothered with layered clothes at at, um, hotels in the Adirondacks. And and I I remember very specifically uh, one story that has always stayed with me, and it was a girl, and it was a girl and the different boyfriends that she had spending the night, and there was, and it was always the same layout. It was, it, it was her bed that I, that I think had mirrored screens around it. Probably. She was <laughs> some little, and there was always a new guy. There was one guy, like a muscle boy, blonde, and he had like all of these comic books strewn right. all over the bed. There was another guy that maybe had like jewelry strewn all over the bed. Another, um, there was like these different. <laughs> it sounds right. <laughs> and it was so, but it was so. Um, Obviously, it was it was promoting sexual liberation, yeah. And, um, uh, but there was a freedom, and but also there was such a a, a, a gloss, a very glamorous, cheerful mm-hmm. gloss to it. It was very sexual, but it was there was something so cheerful about yeah. it. And um, but I mean that reflects that period. There was like just such cheerfulness about drugs and sex that, that everything that, yeah yeah uh, and it all seemed healthy and and um who knew it, it was yeah it it was really uh a, an incredible time and also as you probably um have it incorporated in your soul that creativity could be endless could be any possibility and that imprint from that time, I think, is incredibly valuable to anybody who 
experienced it in any way. I I think um, there was that anything is possible, any creative idea, any any area. Clearly, you are creative in so many areas and see no limit, obviously, to what your creativity can do. A lot of that I saw as the way I was going to look at life and the way way I would see my creative spirit. But you, I think, especially in the present, what I love about what you do is you are so pure and so extraordinarily creative in your own way that you can't help but almost shock people with it it's it's just so intense and beautiful and and exciting that anybody who sees what you do has to have that feeling that you had in the 70s when the creativity was happening i had and that i still feel is a part of me but i love to see more of the kinds of things you do. I just think it, it, it's so healthy now in the world we live in to understand that creativity can survive and flourish at any time, no matter what's happening in the world. And, and I really want to congratulate you for not, not for being talented, but for being so honest and just straightforward about it and fearless. It's it's a it's a lesson to people in any uh, walk of life that this can happen, that you can have a life like that. But it's not it's not easy and, and honesty <laughs> only you can only be honest if you're independent. And that's why you topic. can be honest. That's why I can be honest. That's the topic. Um, yeah. That's the topic. And one of the big reasons I wanted to, to speak with you is you've had your business since 1994, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Um, and you do everything, basically. You run it. You're the business. You understand the concept of business and fashion and Then that's that's the super important thing. I have incredible partners who were starting out at the same time that I was and and they had to make it work as much as I had to make it work. They were distributors that had um, that had uh, broken free from a distributor who um, was working, who had promoted and Amula Meester and. Uh-huh. Olivia Teskin and um, Alexander McQueen. So this was a group. They they belonged to it. They were an Italian group who were kind of those radical Italians who went to the most extreme shows and who loved fashion and who promoted only what they believed in. So these the, the this these young people wanted to start their own business and they found me. And um, they had a great relationship with the right buyers in the world. 
Um, and you, you remember those buyers? There were there were Joan Bernstein from yeah, Brown, yeah, yeah, and, um, and Joyce from Hong Kong, and yeah. Alan Bazarian and Charles Gallet, and um, uh, Sam, um, Shelley Sams from Henry Bendel's mm-hmm. uh, people who would take a chance. So anyway, um. Elsa and Luca, the people who who decided to start branch out on their own and and start with somebody new, they found me, the three of us, um, you know, we started this without without really investment. And we just, um, doing runway shows wasn't really part of our budget or plan. We were just selling. Clothes and we found a manufacturer in Italy to manufacture the clothes, and they had the worldwide distribution, and that's how it started, and that's how it still is. They are my partners, and that's right. They, it's kind of like a very lucky marriage. They, they are more talented than I am in protecting our brand, in protecting what we do, in navigating, um, navigating the relationships with the stores between the stores and the manufacturer to get the clothes there on time at a certain price. An art form. That's an it art really form. Is. And, you know, <laughs> right. I always I always say the inspiration my part is like kind of 10, 10% and it's 90% yeah. execution. Yeah. Getting it out there and, yeah. and getting it's, a, it up. It's, it's crazy. I know. So, and when you're talking about my being a creative force, I was it only happened because I was protected long enough to learn how to do it. Now, a lot of those guys at fashion houses, they have a three year contract and they yeah. have to do it in three years. I know. I didn't do I it know. in years. I did it like in 10. <laughs> I, I know. It took me 14 years before I actually could afford to buy an apartment. I mean, I was like, not easy, but the but truth be told, in that situation, you are still aware of can you afford fabric? Can you do can you do these things? And running a business is a fashion business is incredibly challenging because every season there's another thing, right? Not design thing, another industry thing another way people do business and it is shifting constantly yeah constantly and understanding that as a designer is critical and you've done that um and like you said it's not easy but because you understand that you are here today to talk about it right there are near misses right where you feel like oh, oh, yeah. i'm gonna make this one and then you do and luckily i have i have a very extravagant streak but i have a very practical streak too so those who have stood me in good stead probably i mean we and we've you, you, there are being independent there's limitations that are different from from being with a conglomerate mm-hmm. and, um but I would rather have those limitations and have to answer to, right. to a committee, to a committee. Yeah. Um, a committee of design directors. I mean, that would be shoot me, right? Uh, yeah. you know. I, I really, I don't think I could. And it's also a different job. And I don't, I don't, um, 
disapprove of it. It is a major talent to be able to do that. So it's another, it's a completely different, different. talent. Um, and, uh, but then I, you know, you think of somebody like Margella, who apparently, and it's not like I know that much about him, but apparently there was kind of a big design room. There were a lot of uh, people and he, and somehow he was cultivating ideas and nurturing ideas out of this to create one cohesive story. I don't know how he did that. I would I never be able to do that. That is like, that is a communication skill with people and being able to lead a team mm. like that. And it's, it's a very beautiful thing. I, yeah. I, I wish I could do that more, but I can't. Yeah, it's different. I, I remember being asked, uh, somebody asked me if I could, I don't want to name the brand, but kind of quietly design direct the design team because they'd gone off and all kinds of craziness. And this person was a friend and convinced me. And I thought, okay, and it's an experience. 60 designers, 60, yeah. excuse yeah. me, where? <laughs> but with you, one of the beautiful things of having a brand that is, has continuity and evolves and sort of, shows the dynamic creativity from a time and a designer that's consistent but growing and changing. The The problem, I think, when there is a limited contract, like you said, you don't have a chance to take that, evolve, and really grow with it. But I think it confuses the consumer. And that's, in, in the end, somewhere along the line, there has to be a connection to a brand over a period of time. I don't think the consumer cares anymore. I, I don't think really? that I don't think you and I, we we became faithful to designers that we felt a connection a connection to. I think consumers now, and this is kind of an Instagram thing, I think. Because you and I, when we saw the news on TV, we saw the news, and that was basically right. one person. Now, now on the news, there's there's banners and there's all of this stuff happening. And, yeah. and, you're, yeah. and, and this new generation has learned how to absorb all of that information mm -hmm. all at the same time, which I don't have that skill. So this generation now, they have Instagram that is bombarding them with all of this desirable stuff, and now it is such a flea market and that you can kind of choose here, pick here, pick here, pick here and create your own style. So they say, but all of those styles look the same to me. It looks yeah. like a jumble of, it is. And, yeah. but you know, that's, that's, that's my eye. And I think mm -hmm. this generation somewhere, they recognize something differently than I do. Um, I think, but I think, for you, the work you do, you know, the fashion industry has a lot of uh, definitions. There's the fashion industry that copies whatever the hot thing is, and they make tons of money and they get it out and that's what they do. And that's what they do, right? And then there are designers who have brands who try to make that happen. And then there are brands that are more about um, an overwhelming kind of 
experience, a real experience. You are an experience. I and, know. I, I don't know who can do that anymore. Well, it's, you are. Oh, I am, but I'm really lucky. And I, I was very protected and I'm still very protected. I have a family around me that is protecting what I do and they're steering, we're all steering the ship together, but um, we're all, it's a loyal, committed family. Yeah. Um, yeah. And who can do that? What uh, what designers have that? That's like a, that's such a, a blessing. Yeah, I, uh, I think, I think you're so right. And the fact that um, you and I share a, a a creative experience in our lives and that we can be grateful for that is extraordinary. And I think what you do may be um, disappearing in time, the opportunity to do that. However, whatever happens in this world, you are a creative soul who will find away whether you have lots of money for fabric or a little bit money for fabric or whether you have a piece of clay that you can make something or a pillow and a piece of furniture or some combination of pillows that you can create a new kind of experience for living you will do it so it it almost is a crisis time in where we were and where we going we're going but i am confident that whatever the challenge is it will ignite new ideas for you i'm positive of it and i i think yes you're lucky and we're lucky to be having creative lives but you will make whatever world circumstances um an inspiration for what you're going to do next i'm positive of it my original game plan was i was going to be charles james and live uh, in glamorous <laughs> squalor oh, on hollywood boulevard making beautiful things that was my plan that was a good one that was <laughs> a very good one that was fantastic you know um I was thinking when I was thinking about this and wanting to interview somebody like you that I studied fashion for so many years. Obviously, you studied fashion too. Of Charles James was uh, he was magic in in his time too, and would still be right. He would still have some kind of special energy. I think that having those people is really important and you are that to people too yeah. I mean, there are that that is that example may even be your purpose i mean what is your purpose in this lifetime to um glamorize weirdness you know i just uh, i just wrote this intro for um for uh for somebody and i i was saying you know my uh i was so i learned how to deal with the hostility of being of growing up um being rejected because of my weirdness but i swore that i was going to um express 
cheerful perversity in as elegant way as possible to counterbalance that kind of bigotry. That was that was my purpose on life. My purpose in life was to be the David Bowie album cover for some kid um, in a small town for me to say, you know, you can live this whole other world and you don't have to follow all of those rules. Um, and I wanted to be that um, that example. Um, and the world can be such a narrow, judgmental, um, oppressive, it can, the world can have such an oppressive side to it that I feel like I have to counterbalance it. I have to do my best to be the opposite of that. And because it's not, you know, the world can be, the world, there is there is darkness. There just is. There's lightness, darkness, and um, uh, it's it's the it's the glory and the disappointment of human nature. It's just um, competition and selfishness. It's just part of life. It's just part of the way the world works. But I can be. Um, I can provide alternatives to that to people. I can say this or these are. The sometimes narrow and cruel standards of beauty that we live with today, but I can propose this that might be different and might be um, an alternative. Yeah. Um, so I, that that yeah. is that is strongly my purpose in life. That's it's great, and you know it's it's incredible. First of all, you you have so many great books. Um, and and I'm almost thinking as you're saying that I think it, there's such a crisis and, and it's become a mental health crisis for young adults, especially who feel different, who have social media to deal with in in their differences and their fears about being unique or interested in things that other people aren't that. You know, young people today have a support that we never had. On Instagram, you can find your tribe in a way that we couldn't. Don't you think? Do you think everybody can find their tribe? I think think on Google, you can type in anything and find your tribe. (laughs) Maybe I'm being, I'm being glib. I'm being, I'm being a little glib, but. It's a, I, I think. Um, I think there are edges of that, but I think somebody like you, for what you just said, that your purpose is, um, I think your story is is really powerful um, just in the way you've told your early influences and how you're still creating those dreams you had at that time and how being different really uh, created your uniqueness and the power of that. A lot of a lot of people who are different are so afraid to be different, or if they are different, aren't really aware of the opportunity of being unique and seeing more people who are unique especially somebody like you, your uniqueness is bold and profound and creative and beautiful. Um, 
and global. And I think you um, have a, an incredible ability to be um, sort of another light, not only as a creative person, but how this person took their uniqueness into a creative world. And it's a special kind of uniqueness. It's art. It's every aspect of design, not just fashion. I think understanding that it can be that broad and that, um, I, I mean, I don't think you see a limit to what you can do. I, it, it, there is there anything that you tell yourself you can't do? I can't imagine. Um, I I I can't no. I can't think of anything. Um, I mean, I I know I don't want to build a house because it'll just take too long. <laughs> I don't have the patience for it. Um, and you have a practical side. So. <laughs> yeah, and and the great thing. I, you know, part of being independent, obviously, there are limitations that you, that you, I wouldn't have if I lived in if I worked with a, a a much bigger organization. But there's an advantage to that because having limitations, um, if you have if you just have everything at your disposal, it's hard to make choices. But if you have a certain and my favorite part. And I don't mind the speed of fashion. I don't mind the cycle of shows and all of that. But I live in a very different, I live under very different circumstances than somebody who works for, for a house that has to pump out all of that, all yeah. of that merchandise and stuff. So I'm, I'm coming from a very privileged position of being able to do what I want. But having limits is like this kind of delicious puzzle every season. It's like th I've got this amount of resources, this amount of time. How do I use those elements and put them together in a convincing way? Yeah. And that's 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 a great thing. And if if I had if it was limitless, it would. And if I didn't have deadlines, you know, it, it can take like it, it could take me three years to come yeah. up with a collection. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> and we were talking about though about. Um, I was talking to some to some friends about raising kids because a lot of people in my world are having babies um, now, mm -hmm. which which is great fun. But I, you know, I was saying the world now. I mean, I I see children being cared for, and, and you know, their parents are responding so much to them. And I'm wondering, would my mom have tolerated that kind of behavior? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and, and my mom was the most gentle person and, and the sweetest person in the world, but she could have a firm hand. Uh, my father, on the other hand, was was um, uh, he was a bully. Uh, he was he really bullied me and it was very rough. But, um, you know, I was talking with my friends and I'm saying, you know, I don't know where I would be without fear and shame. Fear and shame and oppression. I know. They, 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 they made me, they filled me. I needed to react. They, um, they taught me responsibility. I have a strong sense of responsibility uh -huh. and, um, like some kind of morality. Uh -huh. Um, and if I hadn't had that kind of oppression to fight against, yeah. 
I would be like a really um a really good natured um creative so, person that we never heard of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Um but you know uh, yeah, I'm I'm thinking Definitely, I need yeah. And the and the survival skills um I, I, you know, it's funny this weekend, I was having the same conversation with friends who have kids and, um, and I wondered how much they do for their children to the point where their life experience is so connected and limited to what their mother and father do for them. And, and will that, oh my God, look at that. <laughs> anyway, the 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 new uh having those limitations is inspiring for new creativity, right? I'm sure you've come up with ideas because you had limitations that you wouldn't have like you said if you had yeah, time you, you and do. you improvise. Yeah. Um, you, you, an improvisation is one of the most creative uh, yeah. experiences ever. So, um, and the most fun, right? It's more yeah. fun. I mean, you need your imagination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so, what do you think? I mean, I, when I think of creativity, I think of it when you do something that you've never done before there's a high, right? There's a high. It just exists. It's just, it's lifting. It does something. It's like a drug for um, the ultimate uh, in, in a creative life. When do you, when do you remember if you do, when that first happened? Were you in school or were you like, Oh yeah, you? I think, I remember once I was allowed to uh, uh, miss some kind of study period because I was allowed to paint some kind of backdrop for some school event or something uh -huh. because I was good at good at that because I was I I I, I painted so well <laughs> I mean it was like a gypsy van or something it was some kind of prop. But that I was allowed to skip school because I because my work was special enough to allow me that privilege. That was and that's, um, a, that's a big deal. And I could sense admiration in fellow students um, because of that. So that that set me apart. Um, so um, yeah, so that was my my power. That became my power. And and that and how old were you? What how old do you, were you, do you think you were? Um, grade school. I don't know, twelve, eleven, around around there. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's amazing. Well, I I think um, your uh, story about challenging having your own business and also freeing it's as it's freedom to the ultimate free to be creative without a committee is is i think the ultimate dream for every designer every creative person yeah. i was looking at um some uh 
people that I've interviewed in the past who are very genius and creative. And there was, um, a, and this was somebody that I interviewed a long time ago, not in fashion, not in any of the worlds we're talking about. And, um, and it said, um, artistic, creative pioneer and visionary leader. And I thought, oh, actually, that sounds like Rick. It's, mm -hmm. it's actually, it sounds like you because it's not saying fashion designer, um, et cetera. It's more of a state of mind and a personality. And so that's, that's my, that's how I see you as artistic, creative, pioneer, and visionary leader. Well, coming from you, thank you. That's, that's, I, that's something. Well, I'm, you are something, and this has been just um, a great honor to be able to speak. Well, allow to me to say earlier on, I was talking about how I had made it my life's purpose to create an alternative for people who didn't fit into the standards of um, our accepted idea of beauty. And I didn't mean to sound so smug. I sounded very virtuous and smug there for a minute. And I'm looking back on it and thinking, I, I didn't mean it to be so like I thought I was um, some kind of messiah or something. Absolutely not. This is just my little, my little moral, um, my little moral sense of purpose to try and kind of be uh, a safe place for another kind of uh, yeah. aesthetic. So what what kind of music do you like? Oh, everything. Um, I listen to a lot of opera. I listen to Shirley Horn. I listen to Julie London. And then I listen to the most violent techno I can find. <laughs> um, and I listen to Gabber, like hardcore Gabber. Um, Bowie, Iggy Pop. Um, yeah, it, it really runs the gamut. And Different music for different activities. Yeah, yeah, music is really important, isn't it? It it really, it really is. is. It it it's the the strongest, most powerful, wonderful drug. It can just alter you, um, so easily. It's yeah. it's so important. What do you listen to? Um, you know, I I um I love all kinds of music too, and I love to dance to anything. I just love i i i get taken over by music completely so if there's a dance party anywhere i like try to get into it <laughs> invite me please i want to go i love it but i you know i i met etta james uh in the 90s um mm -hmm. just by chance i was doing a show and i rarely do shows and i was doing a show and I realized that I chose all Etta James uh, yeah. because her career started in the 50s and, you know, went very wide and broad. And it sounded similar, but never the same. And so I had chosen songs that I had no idea who the artists were. And the musical director said to me, do you realize every song you chose for this show is by Etta James? I said, who's Etta James? And he said, well, you should find out who. And then I called, I called her agent and I said, she's in, from California. And I said, 
I would love to invite her. I've used every one of her songs. I love her music, her voice, everything about that bluesy sound. And so they said she has a concert, but she'll be uh, in New York um, in this little club, Irving Plaza. Um, and um, she's inviting you. So I said, fantastic. And we became fast friends. And I absolutely was in awe of her incredible talent. And just uh, as you know, she's influenced so many people. And um, so I have my soul in that kind of sound. It's like, it's very deep and feeling and very much, but I, I love all kinds of music. I really do. I think music tells us so much about the time we're living in, the the way we feel, our memories. People say that about clothes too, right? I don't understand music now. There's, there's like the Gabber and stuff. It's fun, but there's nothing. It's, um, but there, there's Lana Del Rey. Lana Del Rey, I think, is that's the most moving music that I've heard for a long time. That I think, I, yeah, with. I think with what is going on in our world globally, um, that I think it has to start coming through with music. I think it's critical that we start to hear and feel the vibration of a song that changes how we feel, that gives us sort of a, a, a moment in, in, in this time. I, and not politically, because I, I that's not, that's not gonna be helpful, but the, but the music that transforms and energizes us and excites us, and that, that, I feel is we're, we're right on the verge of some real talent coming up with something wonderful. I'm an optimist, obviously, as you can see. I'm not. You're not. So I was <laughs> going to say, um, are you a you're a Scorpio? I'm a Scorpio, is that yeah. right? I'm a Cancer. Um, I'm very border signy, but um, but I also do you know what your rising and your moon are? No. I'm not. I'm not very But um, but I do think um, I I do think that the feeling we have that that music kind of inspires is is everything. I mean, it's just. But people do feel that way about fashion too. Yeah. They feel that clothes can do that and create memories. I mean, yeah. do you do you? I remember thinking at one time, why aren't I finding a cure for cancer? What am I doing? Why is that quarter of an inch so important to me? How? What's wrong with me that that's so important? The detail, why is that so important? I could be curing cancer. And then there's this transformation, right, that you start to understand. When did you recognize that people that were- That I cure cancer? <laughs> I do think about that. What? Why? I, I think about male aggression, and I think, um, what was it? How did I have the nerve, or audacity, or arrogance to think that my creative expression it was it had such merit that other that I could demand other people 
pay attention to it. Like how, where did I have that? Uh, like, and, and it's not easy and you have to like kind of pound on doors and you have to really promote yourself. And I'm going, where did that come from? Where did that, um, that and, and I think there's a certain amount of male aggression there that I'm kind of, I, I'm a little ashamed of, but I'm also kind of proud of it. I mean, it, it worked and I had, um, the world is a rough place. And um, when you talk about curing cancer or creating or worrying about the hemline of garment, um, that is the difference between death and beauty. And we will never eradicate death. Death is, an, it's a fact of life. Um, and that's why we have to develop beauty. That's why we have to promote beauty. Beauty is the opposite of death. Um, and the celebration of it and the cultivation of it is the opposite of death. And death we will never avoid. Yeah, that's really um, that's So, um, what kind so of that's, why, that's why what we do has value. Yeah, it, 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 yes, I've learned through the years that um, that it is incredibly valuable. And now I um, I'm very involved in longevity and understanding more about the the aging with power, so we can live healthier, longer to fulfill our dreams and, and purpose. And I realized um, how important, how we, the decisions we make about what we put on our bodies every day to express it's, how we feel is communication. Yeah. And communication is one of the main, main, main functions of life. That's what we're here to do, yeah. communicate so, with you. So talking about longevity and um, lifestyle, you clearly are as fit. You probably have zero body fat. What do you do? Like, do I'm, I, I'm kind of lucky that I never, um, I, I don't really gain a lot anyway, naturally. And I don't do cardio. Um, what do you do? I just work out with weights. Uh -huh. uh, but I drink a lot of coffee and I smoke. So. <laughs> hopefully not while you're doing weights <laughs> no um but I, I i work out with weights very regularly and i don't challenge myself the way that i did when i was in my 30s and 40s then i wanted to build you know i wanted to find i wanted to define i wanted to build and um, I, I took steroids for a while at a certain point and it i can't recommend it strongly like highly enough steroids were great for me they um they got me to another level oh really uh, i was working with a trainer my body was very soft and i had like kind of 13 year old girl nipples <laughs> and um kind of already a love handle and kind of some very soft hips and thighs and um then i started working on i took the steroids when working out with a trainer, um, like five days a week, and for and I probably only did steroids for one or two years. I don't even remember because that was you know forty years ago. Um, but and it bulked me up, and I became kind of puffy and bulky. And um, but then when I stopped doing the steroids, the puffiness all burned off, 
and underneath I had changed the scaffolding wow. of the body. Wow. It's like there was the the tits were hard. The everything like the shoulders got the I don't know like the back and the shoulders kind of the chain. I totally changed shape. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I and ever since it's all only been really about maintenance of that. Um, so it's not like I'm never really getting bigger. It's just to keep it to keep it all as as together as I can. I think um, obviously the human form is important in in clothing and designing clothing and designing furniture and everything. And with your uh, with your models and your shows, it's so clear um how important that is i love that i i i really think um i studied anatomy um in art school um and it was so critical and the way i look at everything and when i see your work and and see the way you present clothes and the the joy of the body and the beauty of the body and the way you create sculpture around the body and with it is really so special and and beautiful and um and and so uh, unique in the understanding of how the human form can look it's just i love where your mind goes with that and just just looking at you, I can see that that's part of your kind of who you are. I do wish that I could be more inclusive size wise. Um, there was there was one season I don't know years ago, and I was you know I was looking around my studio, and we were doing fittings on a model and everything, and I was looking at all the ladies in my studio and the sewers and the pattern makers and stuff. And I was thinking, it's almost obscene that we're making these clothes on this tall, skinny girl and all of these other, and like I'm making all of these women and make these clothes that are very specifically fitting this girl's very slender, very unreachably tall frame. And and I, I, I felt that's not cool. There's I, I gotta I gotta do something about that. And so that season, that was the season where I um, I thought I was going to get all of these step teams from uh, the states to come and perform a step step routines, right? Because they were they were strong, active bodies that were not the fashion model norm, and um, and it worked because I committed to it completely. And well, I think it worked. You know, it, there's. If we look back on that show now, there are people that could say it was exploited. It was exploited, exploited, exploitative, exploitative, whatever. I got it. In in this era, there I could probably be really criticized for that show, but I mean the intentions were the intentions were um, honest. But anyway, um, I felt like. It worked. But then when I see runway shows where we see skinny model, skinny model, skinny model, skinny model, large model, skinny model, skinny model, skinny yeah. model, it just it's just jarring and condescending and mm-hmm. um, and it just doesn't 
feel right. And I, I don't know exactly how to um, how to address that exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's on hard, and I will. Yeah, no, it, it, it is clearly challenging. And I think, um, I think, you know, when I look at everything through a longevity lens now, like what are the things you can do for longevity, for body and mind, and to be productive for as long as you can. I I I don't want to preach, but I want to say, like, if you try these things, if you take care of yourself and you're you do what you can, anything, weight lift, weightlifting is actually on the top of the longevity exercise, by the way. It is the exercise. I should be lifting my body weight and I'm, you know, I'm not lifting my body weight. But I think if more people understood that the accepted human silhouette for healthy people would be something that would probably be between the extremes and here and I think it would probably look like your muscle tone where somebody is taking care of themselves by lifting weights and the ideal would be the ideal that would be equivalent to longevity and until we recognize that health and well-being is the priority overall and the decision that people should make um we're going to have this confused notion of what what the representation of a male and female or form of a human body should be and i'm convinced that it it is giving people the opportunity to live a long fruitful life um body and mind and i think the result uh, is not here yet we don't know how to identify that you identify it you you look like it <laughs> yeah but I, that was just a priority for me and frankly a lot of it more it was more based on vanity than health um health was a factor but it was more about vanity and control yeah. i think it's about it was very much about control um because part of expressing yourself creatively it takes a lot of control it takes you have to control um you have to channel your energy into something that um has an end result because there are so many create i will say like there's so many artists and creative people but it's the ones that actually manage to get it out there and done and and executed um that's the hard part yeah Um, the ones that work the the work i mean it's about work it, and working the hardest and but not in a way where it's serious but you love the work you love the anxiety of it you love the joy of it loving that work with the sense of purpose i yeah. think that is is the most addictive part but the downside of it is that you become a ruthless editor everything becomes about eliminating everything but the very best and that elimination there's something that can probably that's not the healthiest thing in the world to be doing day after day after day Mm. Um, because then you become impatient with imperfection 
And that is not realistic. Um, and I do think about this, about, you know, at the end of my life, it's kind of, you think about the stories of generals that have led huge armies, and then when they're retired, they don't know what to do with themselves. It's like, what are you going to do, garden? Mm-hmm. After having right. after having had that power and, and mm-hmm. wielding that force, um, and it's kind of the same with me. I'm thinking I'm able to channel my um, creative urge and focus it in a very specific way and having people respond. Um, and that's kind of a conversation that I get to have like all the time. Yeah. And what do I do when I'm start when I'm expressing and people are no longer responding how is that going to feel how is it going to feel when i don't have that conversation and it's silent and i don't have anything to polish and refine endlessly um and i kind of think of that and i'm thinking i think a garden i mean (laughs) garden would be a garden is the most wonderful thing in the world, a, a wonderful garden, and it's it's connecting with nature, but it's still about control. Yeah. It's- <laughs> still it. But I think, you know, I'm sure that there have been times in your life where what you were doing maybe wasn't getting the response or you weren't satisfied with it anymore. And it's kind of the universe coming at you and making you feel insecure or unhappy or un- not satisfied with the level of what you're doing. And I think it provokes you to just get to a new place, to go to that next place where you're supposed to go. And somebody like you you may have a garden, you may have two gardens, but I don't believe any any sort of pushback on what you're doing is going to make you step away. It's only going to push you into a new zone and I, take you to the next place, right? I hope so, but um, but things happen. I've seen designers that were so... Um, connected to the moment and connected to the world. I've seen them lose their way and start um, and, and and I'm not sure if they're aware of it and it makes me nervous when mm. I and I haven't seen a lot of examples of that, but I've seen that kind of thing happen and um, and I don't know it just, it's just uh, like I said, I'm a pessimist. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you, the universe is going to push you into. I'm sure you would not be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that, what if I don't you, know? What if I don't even you, know? Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, first of all, we have to have a talk here about longevity. Look at how long you've been doing what you're doing. And, 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 and really doing lots of different things and showing the, the breadth of talent you have. 
And I, like I said before, I think the world can go upside down and you will figure out how to figure out the upside down version of the new thing. You just will. During COVID, um, that was an upside down thing. Yeah. And um, I felt that we responded as, uh, I felt that, um, how do I say this without sound, sounding self-satisfied? I felt like we did the best we could under those certain under uncertain circumstances, yeah. and I felt like um, I, I, we bonded. Our group bonded in such a great way. It, it was um, we made the best out of it, and. Um, and when I look back on it, I'm kind of proud of that period. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I thought I, a lot of people did not have that experience. And I think it made me better at what I do. I'm sure you feel a satisfaction of surviving something incredibly difficult. And I felt like we came up with honorable answers for the situation. Mm -hmm. Um and the other great side of it was I know a lot of people that I know, they had the chance to connect with people that they really cared about, um, like it, people that they didn't care about naturally just kind of fell aside. And we were able to focus on the people that we cared mm -hmm. about, kind of have more time with them. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was a blessing. Yeah. It it really, uh, it was a, a difficult time and I think we learned a lot about our abilities during that period and, and yeah, but then thankfully. as soon as COVID was over all those big houses were just <laughs> jetting all over the world doing uh, doing a destination shows for I know I know it was shameless yeah. and it doesn't <laughs> and 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 you know, there's a lot going on in the world. It we, you know, COVID as we knew it may be over, but we're definitely um, being challenged. Whether it's our abilities as human beings to do as much or to take on as much as we used to or were able to, I think we're all spoiled and extravagance is almost frightening and it, it's it can be scary i was very disapproving of that whole reaction after covid of all of the fashion groups just just kind of just flexing mm. flexing all over the place but on the other hand i i get it i realized that they needed to reassure um mm. shareholders and their clients and their customers and also there was a generation that had been had such a, a shock of fear, they needed to regain their their joy of life again. Yeah. And they needed to, um, and that threat had made them maybe appreciate the preciousness of joy even yeah. more. So I'm thinking, I'm just being a grumpy old dad disapproving of this. Good for them. Let them seize. A friend of mine just came back from Ukraine, and he said that he went to this daytime rave there because uh, it had to be during the day because they had curfews. And he said the 
he was just so inspired by the level of joy that mm -hmm. they were um that they were experiencing experiencing under that kind of threat they were still finding a way to find joy and he said he was very moved mm. that um yeah i mean finding realizing how precious friendships are and how precious life is they are experiencing the highest level of human spirit and we're maybe not um not appreciating that as much as we should it's the, the extravagances are um sometimes a big blur and and disguise what's really important how do you um how do you get on with gen z i i would think they would love you especially structure of your company they they love me because i have my own business and i i'm i'm living my life right and i'm doing it my way i can't believe that they're not like crazy about you and all over you do you Who? sense that gen z gen gen z, z. I can't remember which one they are well they're the younger ones than millennials they're under 30 they're um in their teens to oh, yeah. and they are quite different from millennials as you know i can't i'm sure they you are a sort of god to them you you must be aware of that well i i have to i i'm sure that they are um people who want to be fashion students would love to be able to have an, their independent brand instead of having to face going into um big house yeah sure i'm sure that would be a very appealing end goal for a lot of young people and there's not many examples out there mm. so i i can i can assume that i'm kind of visible yeah. who 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 is there i mean um, I don't really know. Uh, I try to think of American designers. And I mean, I've had my own business since the beginning. I never had partners. And I try to think of who else, who else is struggling? <laughs> who else has gone through that kind of struggle? Am I going to make it? Is it going to, am I going to be in business? And then whew, I did it and now I'm here. How many, how many, uh, how many designers do you know? I mean, seriously. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I thought that you were independent. I thought that you were independent, but Paris always confused me. Is he, is he really independent? I'm not sure. But I was so happy as I dug into your I love I love doing podcasts because I have such a curiosity about people and I love obviously doing research on you. And then I was like, yes, I'm so excited. He's like he's his creative soul. It's his life. That's who he is. It's not a company, it's not a house, it's 
It's Rick Owens and obviously your team. And I am super grateful to my partners and teams in this business too. But who else is there? I don't know. No, there have been examples in the past few years who surprisingly sold their companies. And I didn't expect that. Who I, who I consider kind of um, peers just because their kind of, their volume is kind of similar right. and um, and their independence was similar and um, but they keep they keep their um, they sold they sold and they sold and somebody else sold yeah it was always kind of a it's hard it's it's but hard. I get it because um, you know. Maybe there have been situations where you don't get along with your partner and where selling is your only alternative. That can happen. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, it, it has nothing to do with their their faith and their creativity. Maybe they, it was just circumstances that mm-hmm. pushed them um, and that backed them in, into a corner. That can happen. Yeah. How how about your collaborations? I mean, um, I I think that when you obviously have partners that are on the same wavelength and love the creative spirit and and make money, obviously we agree that money gives you that freedom. So we yeah. appreciate both. Um, but have there been collaborations you've done that you feel really sort of took you to a new place just because it's a collaboration that's different maybe from well, i liked asap i like we oh, did really a, really we did, we did candles and we did um some uh um like a travel kit with asap but it was the, the candles are really beautiful and really nice um i i liked that i i liked uh, the gentleness of their ethos. And I think a lot of people sometimes when they get first sight of me, it can, it can be, um, a, a little bit full on and they think that I'm like this violent techno dark guy right. and, and they can't, but you know, then I, I, I keep telling them, you know, if you go in the stores, there is always gray cashmere that like any right. of the, in like soft t-shirts something cuddly right gentle side that really promotes soft soft um gentleness but anyway it it was nice to be able to do something with um somebody that had that kind of ethos so it was like i like doing birkenstocks um because that was a um that was an aesthetic attitude that i liked connecting to um and it was and it was about it, it was promoting health i mean um health and, and quality it was is such an in, integral part of what they're doing so mm-hmm. i like that um and uh and i but you know they're all they're all kind of at, at the beginning when i first started doing them i mean i didn't do them for a long time just because i thought they were just you know hype machines mm-hmm. Or just um, insincere grabs for cash, um, and but um, it was kind of great to get out of my personal little isolated reclusive zone and kind of engage with other people in the industry and see how other people do things. Mm. And so, um, 
and also connect with a different audience and be able to do interviews about talking about um, being able to provide an alternative to um, to aesthetics that can be a little too narrow in our culture. So being able to promote promote, promote my agenda, um, that that's a plus. That's that's a good thing. Yeah. And being able to promote my agenda to a um, an audience that maybe wasn't that familiar with me, yeah. that's, that's a nice thing. What, and you say you're reclusive. Are you really reclusive? I am because I don't, um, I didn't, I never, uh, do you see me in New York? I'm never, in, <laughs> I, I, have, I don't really. No, because I'm reclusive. Yeah, well, there you see. <laughs> um, but I talk a lot, <laughs> so I'm not. I'm I'm reclusive, but I just don't go out of the house. But right. I'm very I'm very chatty. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I, it it's uh, I think it's a safe place too. Sometimes um, taking that time, uh, but then having friends that you can communicate with or meeting new people that are interesting. Um, you've been married for quite some time too, haven't you? Yeah, we we've been together about thirty years. Um, amazing, amazing. And, and you know, you, she's, she's turning eighty this year too. I love it. I do you know you have to tell her that, and I hope it's not an insult to her, but so many people through the years tell me how much she and I are similar in the way we look in the, in something about us. And, and I hear it from different people and I think, really, I like, why are people saying this? And I'm because not you sure. have a square face. You're both beautiful and you have a kind of a square jawline. Cause I saw it too. I do. I really? That is so, I, 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 and I'm dying to meet her because I thought I have to see what her energy is. First of all, I think the two of you together are magic. I love yeah. it. And and you can tell there's such a creative energy that you both have. And it's it's talk about, you know, finding your soulmate. That's 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 really beautiful. That, and that it's is hilarious because we're so the opposite. I'm so linear and so organized <laughs> and she is so vaporous <laughs> and and but that's it. But that's it. Yeah. No, yeah. but that's that's it. It has to oh, be yeah, that way. Yeah. I I thought forever that I was just other people would have soulmates, not me. Um, and then when I turned sixty-five, Ian Schrager introduced me to this guy who just turned eighty-two, and he's the coolest thing. And um, and so we've been together, and we're actually going to get married. I believe on your birthday. I looked at your birthday. Yeah. So I'm I'm uh I'm I look at the two of you and I thought I think they've been married a really long time and and I wasn't sure how similar you are, but we're the same. I'm very organized, neat, structured, listless, and he's creative and and amazing brilliant genius but we could not be more different but that's the magic i guess and how but, did you how did you know that this was going to be your your soulmate your life mate well i think it was aesthetics i think we both had 
she is a um she's a like this primitive instinctive um impulsive animal um with with the most elegant style she she's barbaric she's kind of like this barbaric elegance that is just that. a cup of tea yeah. i mean so um those those yeah the aesthetic thing i think is what has proved um the the, the biggest adhesive yeah yeah it's it's really interesting i didn't understand or really i knew that you guys were together and i thought oh it's got to be about the creative thing how that that you stay together for a long period of time there's always some glue there's the, the thing that keeps people together and then a while ago i was on instagram and i saw the two of you doing um I'm, i think it was in your studio or I, I didn't understand totally what it was but she was trying on different outfits with you and i loved it i thought i love this I, they are so cool that is so the energy is so right it's fun and it's it's out there and it's just the way it should be it's so sweet at the same time. So that was my my okay. That's a soulmate. I think it was during that was probably during COVID because we did a couple of things like that. I I did that was how I presented my collections. Ah. Uh, the first season, the first time, uh, because we weren't doing public runway shows, and so I presented the pre collection or something like that. But also, I think. There was like, like British Vogue or something asked us like to for her to do some looks. And so I dressed her. And All right. Was, yes, that's what it was. Thing, it was a fun thing to do. And um, but um that was actually it's that was kind of a funny trick when I first started making clothes. Um, because she she doesn't like being she's hard, you can't manage her. She doesn't like <laughs> Uh, and she really reacts to being any kind of management. So I kind of had to trick her. And it was, uh, so I would make new things, I'd make clothes, and I'd leave them around in my studio. <laughs> and, I knew she'd snoop around. So, and then whatever she responded to, whatever she gravitated to, I love it. Kind of snuck off with. I knew that that was something worth developing. That's so funny. That's really, I mean, I have to say. Kind of, it was kind of my truffle pig. <laughs> I, I, I have the same relationship. There's no management whatsoever. I always have to be thinking out of the box to kind of control the, the movement and the, but that's, you know, that's for, for people like us, where we're structured, if we don't have some of that chaos going on, it can't be good, right? We need to have, we need to have a little disorder to create order. So, um, do you make your bed? Do I make my bed? No. Never. Does somebody make your bed for you? Yeah. Every day. Yeah. 
But if I'm alone, um, if I'm alone, kind of rarely, I, 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 I'll make my bed. Yeah. I like seeing, I like coming, I like getting into a maid. Yeah. 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 I, I think there's, there's, um, you know, part of the longevity thing is sleep and a lot of conversation about sleep and making the bed is really a key to the, the, the thing you do in the morning. Now, I don't make my bed every day, too, because somebody else is making my bed. But when I'm nobody else is making my bed, I'm making my bed. I yeah. need to get into that. And that is is also, I think, a personality trait of someone that sees a new beginning as important. It's a subliminal kind of concept. Well, but Right? I take a nap every day. Do you and really? Pretty, and then I take a nap every single day, and I get grumpy if I don't get my nap. Really? And it's very much about um, getting oversaturated at midday um, and having to empty it out, having to take a nap to empty out, and then waking up to a whole new day. Um, wow. And I realize it is probably some kind of self um like meditation yeah. and um, uh, and the way I, I, I developed it because um, when I moved to Europe to start manufacturing industrially um, in Europe, I had to, re I had to react to so many different new calendars and schedules and people and conversations mm -hmm. and meetings and this was my way to, I, I had, I had to escape. I had to like retreat every once in a while. Wow. And so, um, so I started that and it just be, it just stuck and it became sometimes, you know, sometimes I think, am I a little too dependent on this? And then I think, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, uh, how long do you nap for? Like an hour to an hour and a half. And, um, I also realized that I have limited energy and I can oversaturate. So this is the best use of my energy. I am, I am um, uh, pacing the energy that I have for the day. I am pacing it and I'm protecting it. And I am, my life is no longer about um, endurance. Mm -hmm. It's about you making the best decisions possible, yeah. and I have to protect that. So and restoring and restoring, yeah. yeah. Your your body, you're you're listening obviously to your body, and that's and, exactly and what you do. I want to have fun, yeah. so this is supposed <laughs> to be about fun. So um, I want to be relaxed and rested. I don't want to. I don't want. I don't need to stress myself out. Yeah need to uh and i'm not you know i'm not going to do anybody any good if i'm stressed out so is um, it the same time every day is your body like on a yeah. clock yeah and um but there's a lot of uh information that you could easily get i i don't know if you know about the aura rings and where you can you can measure the kind of REM sleep and deep sleep you have even in an hour. You can have as much REM sleep and deep sleep as people have in an entire night. And it, you should probably 
for fun, get one of the aura rings to check and see how deep I bet that hour you have is very intense because it it's it's functioning for you. You're seeing something happen as a result of that hour. I bet if you looked at the data, it's probably very deep and and the REM is probably almost the hour. It's it's uh, interesting when you read about the REM sleep, you know, and deep sleep, it's restore body, restore mind. And when you sleep, do you dream? Sometimes. Um, I didn't know about aura rings. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll send you I'll send you information about it. You'll love it, especially if that you have this hour measuring it. I would be curious to see what that measurement is. So when you sleep, so I in this longevity kind of world that I'm very interested in, and I've been talking to and interviewing brain doctors for my podcast, by the way. You have to listen, they're really good. And so they, uh, I'm doing all of this testing. My, my guy and I, Marty and I are both like, I'm 78, he's 82. So they're testing us. They're testing our brains and testing to see what's going on. And in part of the testing in the quiz, they say, um, they want to know if you dream when you sleep and what do you dream about? So I said, um, Yes, I dream, not all the time, but I do dream. And there are times where I remember the dream and I sort of feel a little guilty because for my entire life, I dream about clothes or things and they're such good ideas that I do them. And they said to me, you are not the only creative person that's ever said that. That's a very common thing that creative people say. Have you had that experience? I have. I've had <laughs> experience. I've had experiences where I wake up and I think that was such a complex, sophisticated <laughs> scenario that I just dreamed. Like I don't know if I could come up with that conscious. <laughs> and I don't know if it was about a story, like an elaborate story or like or something that I said. Um, but I do um I, I there's something about like the freshness of getting up, I guess, that just kind of lets good ideas kind of pop into yeah. your head. Yeah. So I, I do I do always kind of assume that when I wake up, I'll have like something will be kind of solved. Yes. Yes. be able to resolve things yeah so, um, so i really do use it technically as a tool yeah. to do my job yeah me too um, and and i i'm i'm jealous that you do this hour and i think hmm that sounds like a really good idea it it sounds like a prescription for an intense life right to really give yourself it's like one of the most extravagant, glamorous, um, totally <laughs> um, indulgences. Right. Almost, I mean, how many people can do that? I mean, it's not. It, it really is an indulgence. It really is. Um, but working out for an hour is not yeah. considered an indulgence anymore. But sleeping, which is the most restorative healing thing you can do, isn't that interesting? That 
that, you know, that's what's funny about it too. Like there's like a, a little element of shame attached to it. Yeah. Like, like my assistant will like say like, um, oh, so and so wanted to have a meeting with you, but it's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, I I when you said you were doing that hour, and I thought, how is he doing that? And then I felt, well, you you work out for an hour. You do if it's a physical exercise or something you're doing. It's like, oh, how cool is that? But the ultimate restorative, healing, longevity thing you can do is weight training and sleeping. How fast do you well, do anyway. that? Self-medicating, just so like just instincts. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I hope we can meet in person someday soon. And well, since- you're gonna have to come to Paris because I rarely go to New York. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, next trip. To How Paris. often do you go to Paris? Not that often. I've been going to, believe it or not, I've been going to Abu Dhabi a lot. Have you gone to Abu Dhabi at all? Yeah. 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 Well. There's a lot of very, very exciting things going on there. And the, the Marty, the person I'm with, is uh, very involved in a lot of projects there. And um, and it's it's a it's a new country with uh, resources to look at tomorrow and to look at what the future can be and it's just fascinating so i've been going there with him and um and i'm interested in ai what are your thoughts about ai well it's evolution and i i I love something ominous and threatening and that's kind of that means something (laughs) that's true that's right (laughs) up your alley it's it's fascinating and i think you know uh for us for the an industry that has to do with emotion and feelings um ai certainly will be an adventure for us but emotions and feelings uh really are human and we that aspect of what we do or any art form really is sort of uh in its own world, its own its own kind of bubble, and AI can go around it, and but it doesn't heal. And we we work with feeling, right? We work with emotions. Everything you do, right, every day is how you feel, the energy, and that's why you take a nap because it's draining. I mean, if you do a collection and you do fittings, I need a nap. I need a nap after. <laughs> I I am so drained. I'm high. I'm upset. I'm excited. And then like, oh, you know, I would love to kind of crawl in a little ball and take a little nap and go back at it. But but it's it's uh, we're we're in that feeling world. But AI is uh, is fascinating. It's it's scary and eerie. And I love that, too. exciting yeah well i don't want to take any of your any more of your time i love i love conversation with you i enjoyed this so much 
Well, it was a pleasure, and I, I, it's fun. I've admired you for so long, and I, 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 I'm going to admire you for a long time, and um, thank you. It was a pleasure. Uh, it was so great. Thank you so much. Looking forward to meeting you in person. Yeah, you too. It was, it was so fabulous. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.